Lord God, this morning when we started this service, we gathered and we begged you to come and be here. And God, that hasn't changed. Holy Spirit, we just beg for you to be here and to take your word and to, to drive it deep into who we are. God, that we can see you, we can see your face. And God, that we walk out of here changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, we didn't finish through this first section, and, and hence we have a, a part 1B. We can't go to part 2. Part 2 is next week. My name is Chris Richards, and I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community Church, and I get to open the Word this morning. We're working through 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 15, and we're going to be at the first 11 verses again today. What we're going to do is we're going to review some of the things that we talked about last week, but then we're going to finish up. One of the frustrations I had last week is that it didn't have closure. We didn't have things capped off. And so I think in pictures, that's why I teach Sunday school. And so what I, when I read this passage, I think of this sandwich. And we only got half a sandwich last time. We had some bread and then we started stacking stuff on it, but it never finished off. Because at the very beginning, we spent some time talking about salvation and, and what it meant to, to hold fast to the word that, that he was preaching and then some elements of the gospel. But Paul brings this thing all the way around at the end and says, and this gospel had an effect on my life, let me show you. And so he closes off this whole section for us. And so last week we ended somewhere in the middle and we didn't get that. That kicker that, that Paul puts in there for us that says, here is what the first three verses mean. The first two verses where we have talking about that eternal security. I know some of you in flocks talked about that and how he lined those pieces of the gospel. Well, he's, he adds at the end of that what the effect of that gospel should be. And, and we didn't get that. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to finish that sandwich off. Hey, we're going to go back and we're going to add a couple of elements, some condiments inside those slices that we missed last week. And maybe I shouldn't think of food so much, but, you know, maybe it's a Sunday morning thing. And try and cap this sandwich off. That's what we're going to do. Okay? I'm going to go back. I'm going to read this passage again. Verses 1 through 11 in chapter 15. And then we'll get into putting our sandwich together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Most of them remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Whether then it is I or they, 
So we preach and so you believed. All right, so we're going to start picking this gospel piece again out. Now, we're not going to start with the bun. We're going to go down and start with Jesus died for our sins. According to the scripture, as I was talking to some people, there were some pieces there that I missed and some wording that we really should get a hold of. Now, we talked about last week that the Old Testament points to the New Testament. But there were some words here and there's some very specific elements that Jesus points out in the New Testament to show us that this is in fact the case. Now, the big words that we're going to throw around here are types and archetypes. Just hold on to those. We also say foreshadows and fulfillments. So all the way through the Old Testament, what we have are these things that have representation or fulfillments later on. We threw up the slide last week that had Leviticus on there and we talked about some of the sacrificial systems and the offerings and these things that God had instituted. He instituted these things so that the Jewish people, the people that he chose to show the world his glory, would understand what the Messiah and what redemption and what atonement and what all these things meant. And so we put this intense system together that also exposed his character and who he was. What we see is Jesus was teaching his disciples. The disciples didn't get it. Over and over and over again, they weren't so ready. They've read the scriptures. They'd read the Old Testament. So when we see the word scripture here, we mean Old Testament. They'd read it. They saw it. But they didn't understand what it meant. And we see this when Jesus was resurrected. He came back and he was walking the road to Emmaus with some people. And it says he stopped and he opened their eyes. And he taught them how the Old Testament pointed to him. There's a section in John 5 where some Sadducees come to him and they're testing him. And and Jesus tells him, you know, you are in error because you don't know what's going on here. You search the scriptures because you think in the scriptures themselves you're going to find eternal life. But he turns around and he says, but those scriptures are pointing to me. And I'm I'm the one that's going to give you the eternal life. The scriptures themselves are just a t- they're just something that's that's pointing you to me. It's showing you all of these shadows or all these types. So when we see the phrase according to the scriptures, the, the element that it has there is the, the, the Old Testament is full of these types. And so I went online and read some books this week about finding where these types are. I, I thought about creating a table, but this table is just magnificent. It would be huge. And so I went back and just started reading Leviticus. Why? But it's a. Go back and read it. And as you read it, sit back and first pray because God will expose his heart to you. I mean, some of these things that God has done to show you the fullness. And last week we talked about infinity. And when God is infinitely just and infinitely gracious and infinitely all these things, this system that he puts in place so that we don't miss who he is. Is fantastic. So I went back to read Leviticus and you can start seeing where these types are and how they fulfilled. So we have something like the Passover lamb. Everybody knows the story of Passover and Moses. They're leaving Egypt. We have the Passover lamb. And so God says every time you must keep the Passover. And if they did keep the Passover, he said it was a very good thing. 
and you've kept the Passover and you kept it all the way through the Old Testament. We see that they've kept the Passover and that's a good thing. That's a type. And that points to Christ. Leviticus 16, we have this thing called the Day of Atonement. Where they, people come and they put their hands on this goat and the goat runs off, carries their sins away. They're atoned for. That is a type. And its fulfillment is in Christ. Does the animal really forgive their sins? No, but... God says, I accept that as atonement for now for your sins. But you've got to do it over and over and over so that you have the system in place where you know something's got to atone for your sin. It's a type with its fulfillment in Christ. And so these things are all the way through the Old Testament. And Jesus then points these out. Let's move on to died for your sins. Now, we had a conversation in Flock this week. Uh, we're studying through Colossians, and then from Colossians, we moved into the different Gnostic cults that we have in our culture today. We're taking a side road to see what do these people believe and why, and in that, what does the Bible really say? What we talked about this week is the sin. And in that discussion, it just dawned on me that, wow, we didn't really cover what it means so much to die for your sin. So we want to add a little bit to this. If you have a weak view of sin you have a weak view of salvation and if you have a weak view of salvation you don't need much of a God to do it and so in the end a weak view of sin is having a weak view of God and when we truly understand what our position is what our position was before Christ then we have a better understanding of how great God is who redeemed us. These pieces that you see up on the board, we're just going to talk slightly about what happened. God created us to be with him. Genesis 1, God created things perfect. And what happened when sin entered, it's like, you ever have a kid that goes in the bathroom and turns the light on, turns it off? Maybe this only happens in my house. Turns it on, turns it off, turns it on. How long do I think? But they're doing an experiment. Do you ever wonder where the dark goes? You turn on the light. Where is it? You turn it back off. And it, it sounds funny, but kids just have... When you, when you don't have all these cons, we just accept that we know when you turn on the light on, the dark goes away. But, but a kid, that, that's an odd thing. What, Dude, this is just incredible. You t- well, here's what happened. When Adam sinned, and we're going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks... Sin entered the world. If God is perfectly holy, he's perfectly light. And it's like turning the light on. Where does the darkness go? It's gone. You can't have sin in the presence of a perfect God. It doesn't work. And so you have darkness, but when God is present, the darkness can't be there. Neither can sin. And so what happens is we have this tearing of creation, this curse, this breaking where where sinful man now is, is separated from God. Because he can't be in his presence. But God didn't create it to be that way. And God's plans will never be frustrated. God wants to put this back to its normal place. But you know, even when you're in the bathroom, you can't like build a place where darkness can sit. Right? 
You can't do that. You can't say, okay, right over here next to the light, I'm going to create this thing where darkness can be there. Now, you engineers are going, well, sure you can. You can just build a box, and inside the box, the light wouldn't get. Just go with it here for a minute. Light and darkness can't live together. It can't do it. And so what we have to do then is somehow take the darkness and clothe it or change it into light in order to bring it back. And so God puts this system into place that says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to atone. I'm going to change the state of these sinful people so that they can be back with me. This verse that says Jesus died for our sins means God has now provided that when we accept Christ, we take on Christ's righteousness or his light so that we now can exist. We can be in the glory of God. We can be with God. No longer separated. Amen? That's... That's what God did. So die for our sins. We say it all the time, but that's the meaning. And if we don't understand how separated, we're darkness. We're totally darkness. We cannot be with God. We can do a lot of good things. We can do whatever, but dark is dark. And so God provides a way to bring us back. And that is Christ. And what Christ did when it says Jesus died for our sins, he paid For us to come back to himself. He redeemed us. That word redeemed is an interesting word. It means you go to the slave market and you buy someone. Now, the question is, who did Jesus pay? Because we're all a bunch of sinners now. We've done these bad things and we kind of serve the dark side. Who did Jesus pay? Because we see that in all these things, the word redeemed is definitely there's two parties. Atonement, there's two parties there, one that sinned and one that is accepting the atonement. There's always two parties involved in this. One of them is Christ and what he did for us. But then who's the receiver of this? Is it the devil? Did Jesus have to go to the devil and, and pay for us and get us back away from the devil and so we can go to God? No. Jesus paid The righteous demands of God. Was Jesus clothing us with light so that we could live with Satan? Well, that's stupid. No. He clothed us with light. He clothed us with his righteousness so that we could be back in the presence of God. So the payment, when it says God or Jesus paid for our sins, he died for our sins, he did it. To purchase, to bring us back to God. So God was the recipient of Jesus' sacrifice. That's what it means to die for our sins. And we have to have a good view of what sin is. Or we really don't need much of a salvation. Unless you really understand that you are apart from the God who created you. And that your innermost desire in life is to get back to that created order. To get back to God. We do all kinds of things to get there. We work hard. We try to be good. We do all these things in some way to try and achieve that that created state that we were in. God says, no, dark is dark. I've provided you righteousness. 
If you take that righteousness, if you trust in what Christ has done for you, I'll clothe you right there with my righteousness so that you can be restored to me. Let me read Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. Ephesians 2, starting at 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and the promises. It's Old Testament. Having no hope and without God in the world. That was you. Those of you who believe in Christ now. Those of you who don't believe in Christ, who have not trusted Christ, that's you now. Having no hope and without God in this world. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ has allowed that. He has given you the righteousness, his righteousness, so that you now can be in the presence of God. That is the gospel. When we spoke last week about the gospel being good news, if that doesn't shake your insides up, they're not shakable. Right? Understanding where you were and where you're going, being apart from God, and knowing that God provided a way for you, that's, that's a beautiful thing. All right, let's move on. Resurrected on the third day. All right, we hit this a little bit. We're going to add some pickles and onions to this piece of the sandwich. When we say resurrected, there really are two places that we're going to talk about. There is the resurrection of Christ and what he did and what it is. But then there's also the resurrection of man. And they aren't exactly the same thing, though one precedes the other. The resurrection of Christ makes it possible that we, in the end, will have a resurrection. Okay? But they are different events. First, let's talk about, I am the resurrection. At at the death of, of Lazarus, what did Jesus say? The lady's there and she's just distraught. Her brother just died. We're going to start in John 11 here. And Jesus goes to the tomb and he's, he's really moved and he goes to Mary and he says, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. If any man believes in me, though he dies, he will live. So Jesus states that he himself is whatever this resurrection is. It is Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection. He is going to make our resurrection possible. And we know that the Jewish people knew about the resurrection because Mary's response was, Oh, yes. Yes, teacher. I know that he will raise in the last day. I know that he'll be resurrected. They knew. They knew about the resurrection. And then Jesus adds that. They knew it as a type. And Jesus said, Here, let me tell you the fulfillment of that. I am the resurrection. And the life If anybody believes in me, if you want to be resurrected, I'm the one that's going to give you that righteousness that's going to bring you to life. The word tells us in Romans that the resurrection declared Jesus as the son of God. Now, we know that our sins were paid for on the cross. But last week we said there's this chain that's built and without the resurrection The death on the cross didn't have meaning by itself. At the resurrection, we see in Romans 1, verse 4, that the resurrection declared Jesus as the Son of God, which then validated, as we said, validated his death and his message. In Matthew 22, 
we talk about the saints of old, the saints of the Old Testament. And as Jesus names them off, he tells the people that he was talking to, God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. All right, so I threw out a couple of things that are supposed to be in a, a bag here as to what the resurrection is that applies to Jesus is. And what it is, is we have spiritual death in Christ. Christ is going to die bodily. But then Christ's resurrection provided a way so that our resurrections are going to be possible. He paid for that. Now let's go to what our resurrection is. In Philippians 3, and I'm just going to do this one. In Philippians 3, verse 10, it says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship in his suffering and becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. For a Christian, your hope is in the resurrection. That is the pinnacle of the Christian faith that we know on the other side of death is life. You would not go through life as a Christian thinking that, well, I'm just going to live a good, happy life and go to church and and read my Bible and learn these things about God. And then in the end, I just die. My soul goes, whatever, all this stuff goes to sleep and I'm just done. That is not the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is that when I become spiritually alive after accepting Christ, that I'm going to be ushered into the very presence of God. There is a life after death. There's a continuum, and part of it is when I'm in this body, and then this body's going to die and go into the ground. My soul is going to be released and be with God, but then there's going to be a bodily resurrection. And we're going to talk about this at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, which starts talking about the perishable, our body that's perishable is going to die, but it's going to be raised again, imperishable, like a seed. You put a seed in the ground, and the seed dies, and then what it's going to do is it's going to grow and it turns into something. Well, our bodies are going to be planted in the ground, they're going to die, but they're going to be raised up perfect, imperishable. Now, I went and played softball yesterday in my body. I'm ready for imperishable. Right? And so our hope is that there is a life after death and Christ has crossed that bridge to usher us into it. That's our side of the resurrection. So there are some verses there that you can look through during community group. Yeah, so let's move on to he appeared to many. This is some new material. We did not cover this really last week. I read a story. Somebody had bought some land, but the land was sitting on a cemetery. Their task was to go through all the records and exhume the bodies and move them to a different cemetery. And they got to one of the graves and they they dug it up and there's nothing there. There's no body. Now, do you think that guy with the backhoe went, glory, this person's been resurrected. Do you think the manager of the, the cemetery was just all kind of excited that we had as a miracle here no what they did was go oh man something went wrong because without an appearance what resurrection nobody started looking for the girl walking around town that was in that grave nobody did that so an empty grave by itself 
does not make a resurrection. Again, we have this chain that links together. We have Jesus' life and his teaching, telling us who he is, what he's going to do, how he's living for you. And then he dies. He died for our sins. Everything was paid right there when he said it's finished. All the righteous demands of God were paid right there. It was done. But it didn't mean anything. Because we didn't know that. And when he was raised from the dead, it validated that death. But if he just raised from the dead and went straight to the kingdom and nobody saw him, was he really resurrected? You wouldn't be here today if that was the case. What then we have is a good, he taught these sayings, we wrote down some philosophy books, body disappeared, who knows what happened to it, and we start teaching some philosophy and it dies off. A couple people get killed for preaching it and it's not here. But that isn't what happened. He then appeared and he appeared to lots of people. Now this is one of the most, I'm going to call it tender because that's a good word for this pieces of the new testament the jewish people including his disciples did not understand the scriptures did not understand what jesus had come to do they did not understand that jesus came to suffer to die and to atone for their sins they didn't understand that so when jesus died they were crushed and as jesus was dying we have the story of peter he didn't even know what to do with himself. And the whole I denied Jesus three times thing. By the time Jesus was dead, Peter was a mess. Jesus knew that. And in fact, just a little earlier, Jesus was talking to his disciples. He said, who, who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the son of God. And Jesus said this to him. He said, you are right. And on that, I'm going to build my church. God already knew what these disciples were going to have to do. Jesus already knew that these disciples were going to have to take his message and preach it to the entire world. That was going to be their task. He knew that. He also knew because he told Peter before the rooster crows three times. You're going to deny me. He knew that Peter was going to deny him, go away, and be totally jacked up, messed up in his mind after his death. He knew that was going to happen. But he still told him that I'm praying for you, so you're going to be restored. Restored from what? If you die, who cares if I'm re- Then Jesus came back to him and restored him. And it's a beautiful picture. Jesus sitting on the beach, and Peter goes... There he is. He's back. And he jumps out of the boat and starts swimming with everything he's got. And he gets to the shore. And, and then they have this, this time where Jesus reinstates Peter. Do you see the tenderness there? Jesus knew exactly what Peter and the apostles were going to have to do. And he knew that he was going to have to appear to them and teach them and love them and show them and encourage them. And then teach them from the scriptures that all of these things had to happen. And that is your message. Because that is what changes lives. Then Thomas, right behind it. Right, uh, 
I'm not believing it unless I see him. And Jesus shows up, says, okay, Thomas, here I am. Here I am, now believe. And what does he say behind that? He says, you believe because you saw me. But blessed are those people at Windsor Community Church that believe and haven't got to see me yet. In John 17, when Jesus is praying for everybody, he stops and he prays. He says, I don't just pray for these disciples here. I pray for all the people that are going to come and believe in me because of their message. Jesus knew what the responsibility of those disciples were going to be. And he knew that he needed to come back and appear to them and encourage them and show them the way and then teach them when they they now have the power to teach them what the Old Testament, what those types that we spoke about and how they point to him. So what did they go out and do? When Stephen was being martyred, what did he do? He started with Moses and marched through the Old Testament and said, here's the Christ. Don't miss it. They understood then. Only after they saw Jesus resurrected right there did they understand what all the scripture meant. So the appearance of Christ for me, this is my bread and butter. This is the one thing that I cannot Overcome and say, I can, I can see some of the theories of the, the resurrection and the empty tomb and the body being this and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I get to what happened to the apostles, the disciples, all of them died for one thing. They didn't die because they were preaching, you know, you ought to love your brother and you ought to pay taxes to Caesar. You ought to be good and feed the hungry. And they didn't die for that. Those were all things that Jesus taught while I was here. Every one of them died because they said this. I have seen and give testimony. I've seen Jesus Christ who you killed alive. That's what they died for. That's what changed their life. And then we go on. Next, Paul. It says he appeared to Paul. As one untimely born, he's walking to Damascus. And what is he going there for? Most of us know this story. He's going there to light up some Christians. Put them on a pole, burn them up. Well, maybe that was Nero's job. But either way, he wanted them dead. So I guess he was going to stone them. He wanted to drag them back to Jerusalem and, and have a trial. And then get rid of this thing called Christianity. We are really tired of them breaking down our religion. And preaching this God that raised this Jesus from the dead. Tired of that. And so Paul, or Saul at the time, was on his way to get some more Christians to put him to death. And Jesus appeared to him also. And when he appeared to Paul, it changed his life. There was effect And Paul says, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am who I am. Now suck that into your head for a second and think about where you were. Because you know what? You are not deserving to be called a Christian either. Maybe you didn't persecute the church. Maybe you just don't care. 
You got business. You got other things to do. You don't care. Whatever. Either way, you were darkness. You were separated from God. You had no right, no deserving for God to come and bring you back to himself. But then God made himself known to you. And when he did, some of you responded. And then at that point, the resurrection, the message that died for your sin, had effect on you. Paul says, the grace of God did not prove vain. When God appeared to me and God's grace got in me, it ruined me. I'm no longer that person I was. Now when I live, I live for Christ. Everything I do. That resurrection, that grace had effect on my life. You see where these sandwich pieces are about to come together? At the beginning it says, you are saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. And here he's saying, here's the effect. The grace of God got in me and it ruined who I was. I worked harder than all the rest. Yet not I, but the grace of God working in me. What does it mean to be eternally secure? What does it mean to be saved? It means when God made himself known to you, the resurrected Christ, the grace of God, had effect on you. You now have a totally different direction. You have repented from the way you were going. You repented from being in the dark and you said, "Mm, no, God is going to have effect on my life. And you started moving. That is standing fast in the word that Paul's preaching. That is what it means to be saved. That is the gospel. Does it have effect on the direction of your life? And that last line, he says, yet not I. But the grace of God, that is what every Christian longs to be able to say. Now just think about that. As a Christian, you long to see God's grace move in your life. Sometimes he moves kind of fast, and that hurts a little bit, because you find yourself not in sync with what God wants, and so... He wants to, quote, unquote, sanctify you. He wants to move you to obedience, to love him. And sometimes that happens fast. It hurts a little bit. But then other times you get to sit with someone and explain this gospel to them and you see they light up. And you look at that and you go, wow, God is good. The grace of God is working in me and through me. And as a believer, there is nothing greater than, than experiencing the joy that comes with God's grace working in you and through you. And so everybody with Paul should just desire to say, yet not I, but the grace of God working. Even the times that it hurts. Because when it hurts, it's kind of an indicator, God's working. God's working. My leg just got cut off this week because, but the point was you weren't in obedience to God. And so God lopped off one of your legs. Maybe that's a bad example, but the point is that it hurts. And and God wants to remove places in in your heart 
that aren't going to line up with him. He said it's his job. He's going to call you when he calls you and you respond. He clothes you with that righteousness. Right now, you're perfect. Right now, when you respond to Christ, you go from the dark to being clothed with his righteousness, the light so that you can be in God's presence at that minute. But then he slowly starts to work on you and conform you and sanctify you and change you into the likeness of his son. And that, in this world, can hurt. So I say lop off a leg. That's what I mean. He's conforming you to look just like Christ. And he said he's going to do that. He called you. He justified you, bought you back. And he's going to sanctify you. And in the end, he is going to glorify you. That is the gospel sandwich. You want to know if you're saved? Is that the direction and the priority of your life? Is that it? You wake up in the morning, just what you want is Christ, and you want him more and more? At the very end, Paul throws in a comment. He says, whether it was I or they, this is what we preached, and this is what you believed. This takes us full circle back to verse 1. You believed it, and in that you are saved if you hold fast. That's the gospel. And that's what we preach. And just like last week when we had that cycle, we preach it, people believe it and get saved, and then they learn, the Holy Spirit teaches them, and then they preach it, and other people get saved, And this thing just keeps going. Let's pray. Lord God, your word is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And God, I trust that your word is going to be effectual in us today. But we don't know how. But God, would you do that for us? Would you move? Would you call us all into a deeper walk with you? God, for those that don't know you, who have not chosen to put on your righteousness. God, please call them to yourself. God, don't let them sleep until they respond to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.